Welcome to the Groove Room. This is Lost in the Groove. Where we have really awesome and meaningful conversations week after week. Things that matter to you. You know, and what what kind of... Uh, what kind of name could we come up with for, uh, for let's say, if it was a different project, right? Like something that um, that can speak to where we are uh, in society and generationally, uh, because we have those two perspectives. Uh, the with the age gap and with the 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 two different minds and then two different worlds, cultures, um, both of those are enough to create such a um, a great contrast of uh, around the topics we would, we would talk about, right? Like way you see it, even though, you know, you, you're, you're a hippie, you like older people in general, you like being around older people, but I mean, uh, it doesn't change the fact that for a long time, you were still around people your own age because you had to be right. School and everything. You yeah. But school it's, in high school, but you know, it, it goes back to society where I was raised in a different type of society than a lot of people. And the thing for me is it's not about it's not about being a hippie. It's not about my background, it's about my culture, is by me realizing people are amazing. I had once where I sat in class and the teacher scolded at me afterwards. He's like, You just sit th- you just sat there and you just stared at me. You didn't write anything down. Like, you call that being in class, and I'm like, oh, you, you mean about the part they were, you know, talking about, and it was over there, you know, and so-and-so. And I just blurted it out. He's like, how'd you do that? And I said, I listened. Yeah, you don't, yeah you don't have to write if you're listening, right? I mean, you don't have to take notes if you're fully aware of uh, the, uh, the content that's uh, in front of you that's being provided. Um, but that's, that's a difficult thing to do, Dave. So you may have had, you may have had something that most people don't, which is the ability to cut out distractions and focus, hyper-focus on what it is you're being taught or whatever the person in front of you is saying. Um, today's society, there is no ultra-focus or hyper-focus. There's There's no need to. Well, but there's incredible distractions. The, of course. the amount of distraction is hyper, and that makes it difficult. So people do have to take notes. I mean, it's your no teacher is perfect because uh, they all expect uh, most students to kind of be about the same, I guess. Um, but uh, you must have thrown a wrench in in, in that dude. No, because I <clears throat> I'm dyslexic, and the way I see the world is very differently. I can't see a plan and create a picture from it. I need a picture to create a plan. So in a way, when personally for myself, when I'm connecting with people, I'm listening into who they are as a person, what matters to them and what they care about. And... I think one great example that I always I always find so eccentric is 
Freddie Mercury. His entire time that he was alive, he listened. He was a performer that realized what the people wanted to hear, and what he truly wanted to hear. So I feel sometimes if you listen to someone, able to connect to the person and then understand them, if you open up, you don't close yourself. Sure. It's an interesting one that you brought up about Freddie Mercury. Why did he come to your mind? Because my three mentors are David Bowie, Freddie Mercury, and John Lennon. And they they each are a different aspect of my life. Uh, John Lennon was the inspiration for me to stand up for myself, do something like this. David Bowie gave me the ability to be proud of who I am, even though I'm different. And being a creative person in your own unique way. And don't assimilate to all the vanilla that's around you. And Freddie... For his voice, his talent, and not giving a shit. He never gave a shit. He would, he got on, I have to send you this. He got up on stage, I think it was Madison Square Gardens. He stripped down to his underpants in a crowd of over 10,000 people. This was like 1978. He just didn't give a shit. And I love that because then you get to live your life and say, you know what? I don't care about your stupid opinion of me. It doesn't matter. That is pretty huge for the time, right? Yeah. The uh, the first time I saw somebody do something like that was, um, I think it was at the uh, Long Beach Aquarium here in California. When I went to go see Tool and Meshuggah opened up for them. Second half of Meshuggah's uh, uh, set, the singer came out completely naked. Wow. No, just com- but I didn't understand because I was like 12 or 13 at the time. And I'm like, that's just really bizarre. But whatever, like the music's good. Uh, and besides, I'm here for Tool anyways. So, um, but thinking back on it, you know, uh, for, for Freddie to do it so long ago, decades ago, in a time where it would have been very controversial to do so. Um, and then to, to witness it in the two thousands by, uh, by that vocalist, I, I realized that um, it's almost like shedding a lot of the, um, the weight of the world, the weight of um, people's expectations uh, yeah. of you. And you just like take it all off and you just, just get back on stage and do your thing. And it's, um, yeah, at least that's how I interpret it. I don't know. Very interesting. It's the incredibility of artists. You see, it's so strange and how the most famous singers, they don't have such great voices. And it's, it's not about their voice. It's about their words. You know, to... I know this because, and we both know this, we're both musicians. Writing a song, it's hard. It's tough. 
You know, when you hear a Jimi Hendrix song, that's him talking to you and telling you what he feels. When Paul McCartney is singing, same thing. It may sound stupid, but it's their words talking to you. How are you going to interpret it? I mean, it's um, I've got I've got both perspectives though. So I mean, it's it's it, and the inter interpretations could be different from a, from a crowd's perspective. It's uh, yeah, I mean, that's why most songs are about the same thing over and over again because that's uh, one way to connect with an audience, an audience of people that are hurt or broken or, or something, right? And so it, it resonates. Uh, the other perspective is like actually playing these songs live for, you know, a decade. So Jimi Hendrix songs, I've, I've played them live to people, have heard the lyrics from the singers I've performed with over the years and um, the meanings that, uh, the meanings they can have coming from the person who's performing it too uh can can feel vastly different uh and i got i gotta say jimmy hendrix songs are probably some of the toughest songs out there you know to perform um whether it's vocally or for anybody else in the group uh so i mean he was, he was, an, he was an incredible guitarist not yeah. normal no 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 especially the way he the style that he played and just uh just a different view on on sound and and feel and yeah i don't know but i've always uh i had always felt like the um the meaning of a song is definitely different from both perspectives and obviously a crowd an audience of people that listen can never truly understand the other side so that's that but for for you know somebody like myself being able to experience both and listening to the originals i mean it's it's quite powerful in that uh how our mind and our emotions can uh can kind of create a meaning of the words or uh, or uh, the words of a of a lyric or just um the the intentions we can draw up any type of meaning out of them it's pretty interesting it's uh, it's uh that's really... like again <clears throat> yeah like what i was saying was again that it's uh it's it's really depends on the person so yeah i'm you know it's funny because we both we both like star trek and i'm going to do this again yeet uh in star trek there is a species that communicates through music that's her language. It's music. And it, it's just fascinating because it could be so realistic. There could be a an organic cell species of some sort that the way that they communicate. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah. so, well, we can call it music, right? But if we just took it at, um, at the base level of... Um, just sound we have dolphins that do the same thing they communicate through sonar through sonar and through the clicky clickety clacks that they do so that's that's sound essentially and there might be some something that's uh intricate about the 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 times they clickety clack and the i want to say 
um, the spaces in between each each of those. They created but, languages, so they've yeah. actually learned like there's like 400 languages, like there's tribes, and they could figure out which kind of dolphins they are based on how they're talking. That's insane, man. Yeah, that's very very interesting for for dolphins to have evolved that way. Um, it's interesting, but not unbelievable. Because if you've got dolphins all over the globe, you know, they're they're all going to be different. They all have to evolve for survival. So, like, their their ability to communicate might be different. It's got to be a trip, isn't it? Even for dolphins. They can't talk to their neighbor tribes because they don't, they don't speak the same language. Hopefully they're not warring tribes. <gasps> Dolphin wars! Okay, Dolphin all right. Wars. Any Disney... Any Disney executive listening to our podcast god bless you by the way uh please make dolphin wars okay continuation of star wars you already fucked it up with seven eight nine whatever that bullshit was and then george <laughs> had a trip for one two and three but just for once give us dolphin wars thank oh, you it'll never fly it won't happen disney might be like oh this is too gory <laughs> maybe maybe Discovery Channel will pick it up. Ooh. <laughs> the dolphin, the dolphin wars. wars are about to begin. You know, they have like that English accent going on. <laughs> and they have like the dramatic music, like, ah, you know. We're so <sighs> silly, man. I watch a lot of TV. This is the fucking problem. I just, this is what I do. It's nice to have so much free time to watch TV, man. Um, I don't. You, well, you make time. I try to. You prioritize the, that time to be able to watch the television. I mean, what, do you have cable at home? No. I uh, I have streaming platforms. I have Paramount Plus for Star Trek. I mean, fucking A. Like, come on. And <laughs> Apple TV, Hulu, and HBO Max. That's a lot, dude. If each of them are ten bucks, you're paying basically for cable TV, you know, subscription. Well, cable, it's still cheaper. Cable's like one sixty five, I pay about eighty five for everything. Yeah. That's expensive for cable. Fucking cable networks are gonna die to keep this shit up. Yeah. Too greedy for that money, man. Making listen, so much money. Listen. Okay. Like we can make whatever prices we want. Fuck the consumer. Listen, on Paramount Plus, I can watch any Star Trek I'd like. Anything. They have all of it. Okay? It's 10 bucks a month. Got yeah. all that shit. I mean... Well, I, well look, I got to stop you right there and, and tell you that uh, you, you don't just watch anything from Star Trek. You got to watch it in chronological order. In the proper, uh... proper chronological order. It's the only way to do it. Um... Well, it's funny because people think that you start with the TV show, but not no, no, re- no, no because the TV show is Enterprise. So Voyager, no Voyager would be all the way in the no, back. No, that's toward yeah, that's towards the end. You want to start with uh, First Contact, then you want to get to Enterprise, which was released in two thousand one, where I think it may have ended in two thousand one. I don't know, but. Uh, from Enterprise, then you get to go to Spock and Kirk. After that, uh, you get you get Next Generation. That's the correct order. Next one is DS9 and 
and of course Voyager. So I, I, I always that's the that's the proper correct order. God I, damn it! <laughs> I I personally always liked uh, the Next Generation because of Patrick Stewart. I mean, come on, the, the guy is just he's just le- and he's still performing like the man is in his eighties, and he's just like kicking it strong and like he's now in like the new uh, Picard. Like they came out with new Star Trek Picard, yeah, yeah. and it's just it's fly. Do man fly. Engage number one. <laughs> number one. Ah, <laughs> uh, God, we, we we went all the way to Star Trek again. again well, how can we? How can we not? I, don't I know. know you brought it up, not me, man. But I, I love. I Star mean, Trek. I literally spent the entire weekend and X Files. I love X Files with Magneto. No, I don't think we're. T- I don't think we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, X Files is Magneto. What are you talking about? No, no you're, thinking, you're thinking. Magne- you're thinking of X Men. X Files with David Duchovny, uh, Chris uh, Chris oh, Carter. I thought you said X Men. Gillian Anderson, man. I'm definitely aging myself right now. <laughs> I, 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 have, I I will admit I have not watched X Files. Ah, uh, dude. It is tough with some of the mythological ones in between, but the main storylines are are really good and really good. Makes you want to believe, Makes which I do. You want to believe, which I do. I mean, shout out to uh, Secure Team Ten on YouTube. He's been doing that work for years, man. Along along the uh, the UFO trail, X Files. UFOs. So, yes. It's a long story. Long listen, story. You... listen. Listen. The, we know that when the Vulcans come, that's it. You know? Like we gotta wait for the Vulcans. Like you know, they're they're coming, man. No, we don't we don't wait for the Vulcans because if you watch first contact, you will see that the only way they will come is when we demonstrate that we are ready to go past our solar system with uh with the correct technology to uh to do so you know what i'm thinking the vulcans basically kind of helped create star trek wait just go just bear with me for a second yes okay? they did yeah, yeah you're talking about starfleet or at least maybe the the federation no they like the help. whole like the whole star trek like universe thing vulcans might actually be real you know they might have like <laughs> send rays to earth be like star Star Trek. Star. There's definitely there's definitely something about Gene Roddenberry being so um, so ahead of his time. I don't understand how he did it, but he did. He died, man. So. Like he should be alive right now. Like we gotta we gotta interrogate this man. Like what do you know? Taz? Yeah, dude, you must have known something, man. Where did, there's no way you pulled all this shit out of your ass, dude. Come on. They mind melded with him. A Vulcan came to Earth and mind melded with Gene Roddenberry. Right. You must do and, this, Gene. And that's why we got Star Trek. Because they're trying to give us the message that we should be advancing in our solar system. So we well, can we can meet them. 
that would be that would be something but i doubt they're that interested in us i mean uh in like what's curious is if you take a look at vulcans and humans right they're pretty they're, they look almost alike their uh their biology is different but i mean from a visual uh, perspective they look like humans minus the ears so yeah there might be there may have been some interest to like you guys are our brethren from you know millennia ago <laughs> oh that's nice yeah (laughs) you know we must get down there meld with gene oh yes meld now that now that's sounding really i mean really inappropriate gene (laughs) come hither truth be told though if we we want to get in a conversation about aliens I mean, if we would run into ones, probably they would be humanoid-like. Well, based, standing like, on their two feet, but we don't really know what they would look like. I mean, they might be made out of different materials than us. They might have different eyes. Based, Maybe they're so based on like, yeah, based on the data that's been available for a long time, and it's, it's very difficult to to, to determine how accurate um, it is. Um, but based on that data, there's a good chance that even what we do see, um, all the activity, just like the last, just in the last five years, there's been so much activity released from the um, Department of Homeland Security, um, you know, governments from around the world. Uh, what is it? Um, what's that guy's name? I forget his name, but he was in charge of uh, TTIP. Uh, a tip, I think it was called a tip aeronautics uh, technology uh, uh, detection something. So uh, I think his name was Lou Alizondo is what his name was. Wow, yeah. that that so, is a hard name to remember. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, he came out and said he worked for the government, and that he was hired to uh, uh, to run a program called a tip. Just look at what's going on in our airspace uh, um, and that there is definitely things that we cannot identify uh, explain away easily. Um, but there's also tons, tens of thousands of pieces of footage and evidence and suggestible evidence. But just based on some of the data, there's a good chance that whatever is visiting, um, even if there are, even if there are somebody operating those crafts, they're most likely um, they're most likely bots, because um, think about it when we uh, when we go into our oceans uh, deep enough, do we send people? No, we send unmanned submarines, right? For the same reasons. So what so- I'm thinking is is that possibly they don't really understand our atmosphere because Earth is very unique and in its way. Like we've even hypothesize about other planets their oxygen levels would not be similar to ours you know there's a lot of differences that can exist so maybe they send these crafts and they don't really know what to expect and then once they hit the orbit that's it and then they crash oh no they do not crash that is not true so what's amazing about the with the data and the information available these things do not crash uh we do we have shot them down and that has led to problems over the over the decades. 
Um, because governments are afraid, they're greedy, they're curious, um, but they're, the way their propulsions work, the way they can basically come in and out of orbit from any type of planet, they're, you know, their systems are not affected by our worldly physics whatsoever. So even in water, so you may you may have not heard of this. So you have UFO unidentified flying object. You may have never heard of USO unidentifiable um, submersible object. And so we have we we have had reports from the Navy being out in the middle of the fucking ocean, and they're like, "What is that in the water?" So we have footage of these things. Some of it has surfaced. Some of it has not. A lot of it has probably been buried because it's unexplainable. And the Pentagon and people at the Pentagon sit on it and they view it and say, well, you know, observe and report. There's nothing we can do about this. They seem to they seem to uh, come and go as they please. They're, we have we have no way to exert our will onto them. The, the only the only reality of us opening up to aliens Seriously, is the day that we're able to build spacecraft in space? Because that means that we're serious. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's probably what, that's probably where, you know, if anybody pulls it off, it might be Elon. Is that just like in Star Trek, they have docking stations in orbit. That is pretty much what we would need to build to be able to build aircraft up there rather than trying to launch them from down here. So imagine how much um, how much less wasteful that is if we don't need rocket fuel just to get to orbit. And we're building our craft out there. I mean, the next level, next generation stuff is a lot of the is a lot of the three um, D printing that's you know that's uh, conducted by some companies that work with SpaceX. They build rockets with three D printing, and yeah, they very- can actually three D print metal. Yeah, which is incredible. So that's like that's that is level one type of shit, you know, um, progressing to the to the you know highest of levels would mean taking that technology, having it on these orbital stations where you can build ships and launch them from there. And how are you building them? You're building them with 3D printing. But then resources, where do the resources come from? Maybe you have mining equipment, private, equip. yeah, private maybe, companies. Well, maybe, who are willing to mine asteroids with um, with uh, drones? The drones land, mine, lift back off, come back to the orbital station or some kind of rendezvous. I mean, these are these are things that would need to happen um, in order to kind of accelerate the process. But you got to check out Bob Lazar. I've been following Bob Lazar for twenty years. You know, almost almost twenty years. But the, the the interesting part is finding out that it's the private companies that are actually making the change. And it's been proven before. People were saying, you know, th- saying about this in the 70s where private companies would be the ones that would advance us to space. Because if you think about it, like the early days of Starfleet, Starfleet wasn't started by, by government. Started by businesses and corporations. No, actually, that's not. You got to watch First Contact. That's um, First Contact and Enterprise. 
that was released in 2001. At least they they show a different, you know, uh, approach to it. Um, what I'm saying, okay, so maybe, okay, there was a book that I read, which was kind of like a, a comic book kind of thing. Okay. Kind of, it basically describes that what happens is in the early 2100s, governments completely crumble, and then they get replaced by corporations. So businesses become the government, and what basically happens is they all of a sudden start this new trend of different resources, of going to different things. So when Sounds this like whole a cool book, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of these really cool Star Trek books that are written by fans, which have been proven. Some of them have been proven to be part of the story. The really one thing that I love about this was it was a reconstruction of the entire society that we live in. It was no longer where government is one standing of one thing. It was like it was as if it was like a resource department of some sorts because we got to a point already where why do we need to spend so much on food when we can just create resynthesize like resynthesize with like a three D printer or some kind of shit like you were saying where we can three D print food that's actually edible. Which is actually being done right now, believe being it or not. Being done right now, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, once that reality happens, so it's true in Star Trek that it was done. It was done through government, but think about at that point of what kind of government are you talking about? Well, it was still it was still a, a new government. So, for example, um, if you watch Enterprise all the way through, you'll learn that um, the the first spaceship had been built that has the the capability of light speed travel. Uh, Vulcans had already been a part of um, uh, humanity's growth up to like maybe 20, 30 or 50 years up until that point. Um, so we're skipping a lot. So first contact happens. You know, the world was already in shambles. This was 2050 or 2070 or something. Um, and there was really nothing left. Governments didn't exist. People were just kind of living like the, the video game Fallout. But somebody who was an astronaut, or he was something of that type, I forget the name they used for him, uh, the character's name uh, for in Star Trek, but um, Ze Zephyrin Cochran was the name. So he was the guy that had created a, a rocket with the capability of reaching light speed, had no idea if it'll work. You know, it was just experimental. He was an alcoholic had a horrible drink, drinking problem. Again, the world had collapsed. Something had prompted him to actually test it. He tested it. Vulcans took notice from a distance away and said, huh, look at these motherfuckers. They figured it out. Let's go pay them a visit. You know, because they, how the Vulcans view it is, once, once a civilization has made it that far, we need to make sure that they're safe. That's, that's the protocol they've always had. Because the reality... And we see this now. We never really will understand space until we explore it. You know, that was kind of the beauty of USS Enterprise. It was not that you're going on a wonderful little roller coaster. To do, it was actually seeing what is actually in space. We can look through telescopes from today until tomorrow what Alpha Centauri could possibly be. Mm -hmm. Are we at Alpha Centauri right now? No. So we do we have know. access? Yeah, do we have access to the raw materials that are in that star system? No, no. it's over. It's what, like what one, like one light year away or two light years away or something like that. 
that's the benefit of generation, you know, next generation um, opened up the, uh, the ability to explore vast worlds um, far away from home. And, um, and along the way, because of a lot of the scientific, because um, next generation happened about 200 years after, um, after enterprise and after uh, first contact. So that's well into the future. That's why they were so advanced already. 20, was 24? Yeah, it was like 2300 or something. 2260 oh, right, Voyager or 2300. was 20, no, Voyager, Voyager was 2475. Right, so it would be 23. So, the, it, you know, it was many years down the road. But, um, and at that point, of course, Starfleet, had already been established. Uh, the Federation of, uh, of Planets had already been established from the previous years. Um, but that exploration was, I think, what uh, I think gave the franchise a lot of uh, credit. The, the true desire of uh, human beings wanting to go out and explore and discover and find things that are useful and make connections and um, so you can imagine uh, all the things that were learned in enterprise. That's the same thing that happened. They realized that earth was getting attacked and it was receiving threats and they didn't understand why, but it was coming from the future supposedly. Um, so the first captain of the first enterprise, you know, was uh, given authority to go and find out, go find out, you know, what is this threat about? Where is it coming from? Who is trying to harm us? And, um, uh, it had been there was an attack on the planet bad enough to where like okay we need to go and we need to start investigating through that journey alone what they you know all the species they had melt, uh, met along the way that had gained uh, quite a bit from you know just the sharing i think that's where the replicator came from is an interaction between the first enterprise and a species that they ran into trying to figure out and investigate where the threats were coming from and why someone had attacked the planet that was so fey, um, that was still not advanced yet. Like earth wasn't that advanced, but because it was coming from the future, it, uh, they knew how um, the Federation was going to be built because of, uh, because of earth. Well, think about how they figured out how to time travel in star Trek. They figured out how to time travel using alien technology. That's true. Yeah, yeah. N not, not. Sure. So, and then, you, but, but you also have section. What was it? section thirty or whatever? Fucking a completely autonomous department of Starfleet. <laughs> it's insane. You you can't get rid of CIA. They they managed to survive somewhere. Like, yeah. You just you just see it. They they figure out a way of surviving. Yeah, that's pretty much what pretty much what that was and then what came from it much further into the future i forget the character's name but that um that agency was like the time police so they would they would be at anywhere at any given time always watching uh timelines to see if there's any changes if there are then they're aware they're being aware uh or being notified right then and there that you know what somebody just jumped into this timeline and they don't belong there what are they doing there? So somebody, uh, I, I don't remember the name of the scientist, but he hypothesized a theory 
that if you would theoretically go back in time and stop, I'm going to use John Lennon as an example, because why not? If you would stop Mark Chapman, you'd run up to you, ah! Whatever you try to do, John Lennon would still get shot with five bullets and die that night. Mm-hmm. And kind of interesting, maybe it is a time police where they're like, oh, wait, 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 we got a red, we got a red, we got a red, and they go right in, and they reverse it immediately. Right. I mean, um, that's kind of what they did. That was that was their department. Must have been such a stressful stressful job, <laughs> if you can imagine. But it's the future. They probably have some of the best weed you can imagine. To oh de-stress. my god! <laughs> you know what it would be called? It'd be called like Nebula two six point eight. Yes. There you go. Nebula two, 2.6.8. And, and improvements to the weed are downloaded from the cloud. Yeah, now they glow. Like they glow <laughs> like you know, mycelium <laughs> in space. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, mycelium weed from space. All right. Okay. Now, I was watching recently because I've spent the whole entire weekend watching I, I forgot what it's, this new show is um, I don't know not Strange World I don't know anyway so mycelium in space there are tardigrades that feed off of mycelium in space mycelium in space yes Man. now do you understand what kind of trip <laughs> you could have in space. Uh, you know, I'd be already tripping out just to be in space. But if we were thinking 500 years into the future, then yes, that's um, this. It gets boring, so you might want. I mean, we're not. You got holodecks and shit. That's what I'm waiting. That's what I'm waiting for. You know, I'm waiting for that day where I can be fully immersed in a full contact um, designated room for that type of entertainment uh, might take a while. Well, <laughs> the secret the secret to te- that technology is the energizers. You know, that when they, they send people down, we're able to break down a molecular structure yeah. and then reproduce it in a specific point. Yeah. It's incredible technology. We are, what, 200 years away from that? Yeah, about Yeah, I mean, probably. Years. If you look at Star Trek uh, kind of timeline, they didn't start using it on people for quite a while. They only used it on cars. It was because um, it was still very risky. It, it took a lot of time, even after that, for 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 it to become common for people to use and feel comfortable with, knowing that you know every molecule was going to be put back together just right. You know. Uh, there was some episodes here and there that were, you know, where people would materialize after a dangerous mission. They're like, huh, wasn't my mole over here? It's over here now <laughs> type of thing. Um, it's a scary thought to think. Uh, it, but it, today we have we have people that are working on that type of technology. Um, it's very dangerous. Very, but all very work, dangerous. All they're working on is just the um, just molecules can we can we just you know transport these molecules from this i don't know from this petri dish to that petri dish or whatever i mean so we got a long way to go there's a lot of there's a lot of technology i mean even look at like warp technology 
you know, do you realize, like, what kind of metal you'd have to build a ship out of to withstand such speeds? Just imagine, that's, like, being in that, that cabin. Yeah, yeah, that's why I told you. You got you to gotta check out Bob Lazar in your free time and all of his recent interviews, but then go back and watch his early uh, early 90s videos and uh, and interviews. Um, you know, people can think whatever they want, but he's got such a compelling story, uh, even even with all the shit that the government did to him along the way uh, to, uh, to discredit him. So it, it just, it further proves that there's something here uh, that we're not allowed to see. So if you're wondering, Bob Lazar um, out of the seventies or eighties uh, was a rocket genius for his young age. He built the first rocket Honda he basically put a fucking rocket engine on the back of his, you know, tiny little hatchback Honda. Uh, and he, you know, he ended up on a, on a local newspaper for it. That's how he got discovered by uh, EG&G out of Vegas, I think, is what it was. EG&G works for the government, uh, specifically, I think, the Navy, but a department of the Navy that hasn't existed for a long time. But... In any case, that's where his pay stubs were coming from. And his pay stubs do show like, okay, he's getting paid by the Navy. Like these checks are real, you know, Um, but very compelling story. And he's been on, uh, he's been doing a lot of interviews as of the last few years, trying to, um, as he, I guess, feels a little more comfortable coming out. He's still alive, luckily. In 2000, I think, seven this motherfucker built the first hydrogen powered vehicle where it was actually safe, you know, right at home, no less. Yeah. But hydrogen um, vehicles, unfortunately are being put in the lock and key. Well, I mean, it's understand like, but nobody can stop him. That's my point is that like, even if uh, governments are like, Oh no, you can't have this. It's fine. The guy can build another one. Um, and, you know, the story goes on and on. He was hired by EG&G after that to, uh, to go on a special program, special access program. He went, on, he went in, he got, he got briefed, he got um, all his paperwork came through. He's used to all of this because he worked at Los Alamos National Laboratory. So he is a real scientist, even, even though the government tried to discredit him for so many years, even uh, eliminating his records of working there. So shit goes really deep, but according to him, he, you know, the special access program was to reverse engineer propulsion for these crafts that they were able to shoot down over the course of the century or that they dug up. He had, you know, he was saying like through the briefings that he received and he was reading these, he thought he was being psychologically challenged, meaning like the government is trying to see is this guy's mental space sound or is he crazy is he going to believe everything that's in here that we're that we're telling him so that was his thought process they're just fucking with me this is probably all bullshit anyways they just want to see if i'll go tell somebody my wife or somebody like testing but again being that he's been a scientist for so long like the fact that he's so alive doesn't make a lot of sense because he leaked it and he's got and he's holding 
he's actually he took evidence off of the base. So it's because of him that Area 51 was discovered. You know, prior to him coming public, when they started threatening his life, um, was because of him. He said, no, there's a there's a place called S4 at Area 51. And then people were like, Area 51? What is this? So they didn't even know. So publications, you know, networks, they all drove out there. They're like, oh, shit, okay, Area 51 exists. It's a real base out here. But it's such a large facility that it's got sub you know substructures so beneath. um beneath but also in other areas of the you know the entire compound i heard about there's this like supposedly a mill that's in that like town like you know what a mill is you know like one of those yeah. old and it's not real it's it's a skeleton and like there's like a sign there do not trespass it's, like covered in barbed wire and it's like it's just a random mill which is barbed wire and no trespassing sign. It's just <laughs> that's also the reason why. I mean, people people flooded to Area Fifty One after the fact. Why do you think the government went ahead and expanded the borders? They expanded the borders of Area Fifty One even beyond where they were because of all the attention it was getting. Like, sure, there was a lot of secret stuff, you know, aircraft being built there. There's aerial but, footage. Um, I forgot who he was. He took drone pictures. Luckily, they they didn't shoot it down. But in the pictures, you could see different spacecraft. And in each picture, you know, they're changing them back and forth. They're not normal shapes. No, they're not normal shapes. You got orbs. You got triangles. You got fucking uh, cigar shit. Yeah, cigar shape looking things. I mean... Um, you got the discs. That's what he says he worked on. He worked on the disc. He got to handle the fuel source. Again, this is why it, it gets like crazier and crazier as this uh, as his story unraveled over time. Um, uh, so the fuel source, he came out and told the public what it was. Element 115. Everybody laughed at him. They said it doesn't exist on the periodic table but you fast forward to 2012 or 2013 and a lab was able to actually synthesize 115 for a brief second and then they put it on the periodic table so what is element 115 it's a he says gas? it's a no he says it's a uh, it might be a gas I don't, i'm not i'm not sure we can probably look it up if we brought it up but he says it's a very dense material and that you don't need a lot of it to propel these uh, these crafts and that um, he was baffled, too. So as he like was allowed to step in and look around and feel the things, he's like, this is, you know, what metal is this? We have no idea. When he went on Joe Rogan, he was able to really get candid about it, too, after 30 years. And what, you know, in his opinion, he's like, look, we have what we're dealing with imagine you take a fucking harley and you you know send it back 200 years ago and you just park it in front of a you know some village they'll tinker with it and eventually they might figure out how to turn it on but when they ride it or if they do anything else the destruction it's going to create will be insane maybe not the best analogy but the same goes here is that we really have no idea what this is 
we're we've been tinkering with it for half a century far as we know some of them uh, according to like the, debrief, the the briefings that he was reading when they first brought him on he's saying some of them were found at archaeological digs so they've been here before thousands of years ago they've probably been here a long time and you know what there's something to say that there must be something very valuable about this planet particularly its water i mean when we look at when we look at our solar system and we look at um, you know other other planets that are yeah. somewhat close scientists somewhat close. scientists have predicted that a lot of goldilocks planets similar to earth would either be mainly water so barely any land or mainly barren lots of rocky mountains and very little water so we are probably a very unique planet there's maybe another planet like us 80 maybe 100 billion light years god knows how far away there might not be not. <laughs> but i'm just saying there might not be as many planets as close to earth in our quadrant or what was our we're not uh we're not the delta no we're the alpha quadrant i think we're um beta I think we're in the beta quadrant. Yeah, we're the beta quadrant. If we're, if we're going uh, according to, let's say, Star what, Trek, yeah, Star it's beta Trek, quadrant. The beta, yeah, um, yeah. Delta, Delta is where Voyager got hurled off to, and Jeez. then they spent they spent like ten years trying to get back. Um, Alpha, I think, is where you'll find the, I think, the Klingons. They're like way down there or some somewhere. Uh, there, there's actually there's actually a, like a, a game. Star Trek Online. I've played it for years, man. And it's, you know, it looks it's exactly like the game. The character, you know, the storylines are really great. Um, uh, and that's why I continue to play it. It's just so much fun as you develop your character and you go through all these different worlds. I mean, it's fucking massive. I can only imagine the server space that's needed to run this game 24-7. But great game. I mean, <laughs> Sponsor <Star> us. <laughs> I mean, Star Trek is... <laughs> Star Trek is a very massive universe because it there's so much information. I mean, just think about it. How many planets? How many species? You yep. know? It, oh, yeah. It's hard for a franchise to make... You know, they make creatures like Klingons, okay? They make creatures like the Illyrians. You know, and it they're so unique. Yeah, they're humanoid, but they're not. Not always, you know. A lot of times they're not. Some, some, you know, I think a lot of times they are. They are humanoid a lot of times. I mean, for the sake of, like, um, having to go through uh, uh, scenes, you know, on, on screen, you would much prefer to have somebody that's a humanoid to play those, uh, to play those roles. Like in Voyager, they ended up in a void. So, like, a part of subspace. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like there's there's layers to it, right? And so they somehow managed to get below the the first layer of space, and they're looking around and they're like, "What is this?" I think that's where they discovered uh, species eight four seven nine, and they were humanoids, I think, but um, but only because of a certain technology they were using. When they're in their subspace realm and their world, they don't need to be physical. 
Oh, I remember. I think it was Voyager. I forgot which one. There was a species that they found that they would... They were like shapeshifters. They would shape into the species of whoever their uh, their guests were. Yeah. Well, the, sh- the the shapeshifters actually are are part of multiple different. Series. You'll 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 see them in uh, you'll see them in um, Deep Space Nine. That entire show is intricately involved with the main story. Uh, you'll see them in Voyager. There's episodes in there that are pretty intricately involved. Um, maybe even Next Generation. I'm not too sure. I don't remember. Um, but, uh, not to give away too much, but I mean, most seen it probably we would, we would hope, uh, the, um, the shapeshifters were the ones, uh, inciting the war against earth and the Federation. And they were, uh, and they were so powerful as a species, the re- you know, um, and they had been doing this for so long because they can live pretty much forever. And so for the longest, they would just dominate every sector of, uh, of space that existed. Um, worse, worse, than, worse than the Borg, just putting it in perspective. Um, the, Borg, the Borg were bad. Yeah, the Borg, the Borg I mean, uh, the Borg operated on one, you know, one kind of... Uh, programming it's like we need to assimilate to keep our numbers strong and um so you can call it programming right but for the creators i forget what they were called i think they were called the uh the creators but they even created a species of warrior i forget what they were what those guys were called um and man were they difficult to beat really brutal and they would keep them drugged up they call it the white <laughs> I swear to God, I can't make this shit up. It's called it's "Time for the White." <laughs> yeah, ooh. no racist <laughs> puns intended. You know, and so like these beastly-looking warriors um, uh, that they uh, that they create in a lab and can be full-grown in a matter of days. Um, they engineered these soldiers, so that's why they need them to be fully grown and ready to go. But they. Uh, uh, they also realize, I guess, that in order to keep them in check, they need to keep them drugged up. And that's where that substance, the white, comes in. <laughs> Eventually, the, uh, the the characters of, I think, Voyager or some, one of them, they're like, oh, shit, these motherfuckers are high all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they figured it out. They figured it out. They figured out that they were stoned. Oh, dude. Did we literally just spent like the past hour talking about Star Trek? Yeah, but it's, you know, we can probably dedicate a whole podcast and talk about it for the rest of our lives. And it's, it still may not be enough necessarily. Well, yeah. best thing I can say, this is possibly a bonus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm all right with that. But seriously, you got to check out Bob Lazar. For all you listeners out there, you should do the same. Um Check out everything from the 90s to most recently on Rogan. And I think he was even on, um, fuck, what's that? Larry, uh, Larry. Let's help me out here. Larry, what? Are you talking about a talk show host? Yeah, yeah, Larry, Larry something. Um, he was, he was even on there. Larry. Larry, Larry, Larry. Larry H. Parker. 
What? Larry no. H. No, <laughs> not Larry H. Parker. No, that that, that sounds like the no. white. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But what? But what? What were you gonna say? I know. I was. Oh, I'm, I'm telling I, you, man. Yeah. You gotta All check. Right. Out, you gotta check him out because um, his story is is very interesting, and yes. um, uh, you know, I find the most the most compelling. Uh, facts are that even though the government had done all this stuff to him, they still buy his products. So he, he, he makes products, scientific and lab type of, uh, uh, I want to say, gear or equipment. And to this day, they still buy from his company. So, yeah. That's, that, that's crazy is what it is, is, you know, yeah. they still need you. So, but you fucked up and told the truth about something that's beyond your pay grade. Um, so, I don't know. Well, but, we'll find out on the next adventure of Star Trek. <laughs> we have reached the end. Well, not really. It's just the end of the podcast. We really appreciate your support, listening, and our guests that come on that share their incredible stories. Be sure to check out our description box. We have social links where you can find us all over the place. And also our other podcast, Jam Bam with Mike and Dave. So here's to next week on Lost in the Groove. <laughs>